This is Mike Corey from ESPN, and you're listening to the Sports Objective Podcast, the unofficial podcast of the Pirates. Welcome into the Sports Objective as we have a very special show tonight. We're going to be talking basketball and, of course, Bubba and, and Kyle are going to be with us here in just a little bit. we got two special guests basketball-wise and my good buddy Matt Simenza. What's up, dude? What's going on, Dave? How you doing? And uh, I'm excited about the show tonight. Really, really happy to have Coach Mack and, and obviously David Glenn with us. So a uh, lot to talk about around the world of college hoops. No doubt. Gentlemen, thank you so much, Coach Mack, of course, former East Carolina uh, basketball coach. You've coached uh, a lot of many years. Great author, uh, David Glenn. Speaking of a uh, great writer, the David Glenn Show, I see chapelboro.com for those uh, streaming tonight, watching on Facebook and YouTube and Twitter. And we have this thing called the Final Four. So it's uh, one of my favorite weekends. And I have to tell you, gentlemen, I, I'm more excited about this Final Four, not because of the second game of it, but the fact that I was thinking about this uh, before we had the last weekend. The fact that we have fans back, it's more of a real tournament now. I don't know about you guys, but I was very depressed as a basketball fan with no fans in the stands. I know Coach Mack and DG, we talked about that last year, but um, I don't know who wants to go first. Uh, DG, do you want to go first and talk about the, that excitement of the Final Four? It just seems like the, the, it's a perfect script to have that second game of Duke, North Carolina, which we're going to talk about, but ultimately – I think it's because of fans in the stands. Dave, I think it's kind of a multi-layered script that should have everybody really excited. You do have Duke and Carolina playing each other for the first time in the NCAA tournament. They've only played each other for 102 years. And we finally get to see this. Fans are in the stands. Coaches, athletes, writers, broadcasters, we all like it better when you have that factor in play. And really, if you broaden the picture a little bit, there are only a handful of programs in the whole country that have three or more NCAA titles. And all four meet that description. You know, we use the phrase blue blood. This is one of the most blue blood final fours ever with Duke and Carolina and Kansas and three-time national champion Villanova. And if you like the color blue, God knows you got everything you could possibly want in New Orleans. There's four different shades of blue for you. So it's blue blood figuratively and blue literally. No question. Coach, uh, from a coach's perspective, um, have you been – one question I have for you. Have have you ever been to the Final Four? Can you tell us about that? But what are – in a coach's mind, what are you doing right now? Uh, What are the coaches doing right now getting ready for this tournament? I would love to know from your lens, your perspective. Yeah, I've been to quite a few. Uh, Started in 76, and I don't think I missed any until – I missed 79, uh, which I hate I missed 79. Oh, man. Uh, 
but uh, I think I made every one until like 2013 or 14. So uh, uh, I love the Final Four. I love the tournament. Uh, I've been lucky enough to coach in the tournament multiple times from Virginia Tech to Auburn to Chattanooga and uh, unfortunately not uh, not East Carolina. But uh, I, I love the Final Four. I love the semifinals. That, you know, David talked about the, the fans and – it seems like when the, the four sets of fans in there, I, th- I like Saturday way better than Monday uh, with the with the four fan bases in there and usually all the different colors. This time we don't have that. But uh, I, although I think Four Shades of Blue would be a really nice book, David. I, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get my wheels turning on that coach. <laughs> and, uh, and, and the coaches are – the coaches are trying to make things as normal as possible. Uh, coaches love to control things and they, they want to be in the same routine. They, they want to be in a familiar hotel if they've been to that uh, venue, which a lot of them have. Uh, but they want to keep things as normal as possible. Uh, you know, I don't know how you keep things normal with North Carolina and Duke in the in the Final Four playing each other. That's just, that's just mind-blowing. And uh, I remember when uh, – Kentucky and Louisville played for the first time in a, in a regional. I think they played in Knoxville, Tennessee. I remember what a big deal that was. That was nothing compared to, to what's going to happen Saturday. And, and, and certainly Kansas and Villanova, despite the best efforts of all the talking heads, uh, they're still under the radar as, as they almost have to be. And, and David, the very fact of uh, when people are talking about Duke, North Carolina, it reminds me, and I know that you started covering, I believe, in 87. You came down for yep. the ACC. But this this is like 1991 different. But you have three out of the four final four teams back as kind of a rematch, potentially. Duke, Kansas, you could argue with Jay Wright as a great coach, one of the best coaches out there, won, and winning two national championships in recent years. Um, yeah, Bill Self uh, right in there with Coach K with five. I mean, you think about all the – championships but um i think that that first game uh, with kansas and uh villanova those two teams are not just happy to be there um they're going to they're going to but both of those teams can win it all as well as the the, that's the great thing about it there's not the some people love the cinderella story like saint peter's this year but i think when it gets to the final four i don't know about you guys i love the four teams that are in it um because they're logistically and literally they have a chance to win the national championship. It's not like, oh, well, the, the slippers finally came off, you know, Cinderella. Yeah, it was interesting to hear Coach K talk this week about how, as Coach Mack just said, Saturday is his favorite day as well. And he says it's because it's one of the rare occasions where everybody has earned their way there as a champion. The way Coach K looks at it, obviously, final four banners go into the rafters. You might not necessarily be the national champion. But just as an ACC tournament champion gets a banner, uh, the Final Four is an accomplishment. I mean, the tournament has evolved over the years, but nowadays you got to win four games, five if you're in the first four. You got to win four games just to get invited to this party. And the funny thing to me, I actually looked up these numbers because Kansas is a one seed, Duke and Villanova are two seeds. 76% of the tournaments have been won by either one or two seeds. Wow. They haven't always seeded the, the tournament. They started seeding it in 1979. So that's 40 or some, 40 or so tournaments. But 76%, it's, I mean, we all love a Cinderella story, but the reality is 
most of the time it's ones and twos and threes that win it all. And here's Little Carolina, one of the most decorated programs in the history of the sport, and they're there as an eight seed. The lowest seeded team ever to win the national championship was Villanova in 1985 as an eight seed. So the Tar Heels would be tying. It feels weird to say Cinderella, but, you know, NC State's cardiac pack was a six seed higher than this year's Tar Heel team. And that's wow. the, that's that's considered one of the most famous Cinderella stories of all time. So you got the Blue Bloods, you got the coaches that you mentioned, you've got all of them kind of wearing that championship label. And in a weird way, you do have an underdog in the Tar Heels. Vegas calls them the underdog to the Blue Devils. And I'll be interested to see what you guys think about this. But I just wrote an article at chapelboro.com basically on the concept of you better have a first-round NBA draft pick on your roster or more than one, if you want to win the NCAA title. And I'm not sure Carolina has one, and I'm not sure Villanova has one. Mm -hmm. So either the rule of thumb, going back 74 years, 74 consecutive national champions have had what I call the modern-day first-round pick, which means a top 30 pick. I actually did the research going back 74 years. Wow. Every champion has a top 30 pick on their roster at the time they want it all. They're not all first-rounders, quote-unquote, because the first round hasn't always been 30 picks. But top 30, every single one. And I went back to the 1940s, guys. Villanova probably does not have a first-round pick. Carolina probably does not have a first-round pick. All those other Carolina national champions, I mean, they had Michael Jordan and Sam Perkins and James Worthy. Three. I mean, Dean Smith had three guys that were picked in the top four of the next couple drafts. Mm -hmm. This is different, so it's either going to be more proof, as Kansas and Duke do have first-round talent, or it's going to be kind of a, a breaking of that chain in history, and maybe, maybe Villanova or Carolina will kind of upset that trend. And, David, when you look back at that 85 team, correct me if I'm wrong, when Villanova was the eighth seed and they won it, was it was it Roly Massimino who was yes. the coach, correct? Yes. And I believe Ed Pinckney was the primary player. Is that correct? So now was, That is and, correct. And he was a top 30 pick? That he year. was. Okay. And, you know, that was one of the teams that I, my kind of – my attention was directed to for two reasons. One, they were such a Cinderella story, I wasn't sure they had – a first rounder. Ed Pinckney was a top 10 pick. So we call that a lottery caliber pick. And they had guys named uh, a guy named Harold Presley. That was a first rounder and a guy named Dwayne McLean, who was an early second rounder. And he was also top 30 early second round back then was top 30. So in the end, Rowley had three top 30 picks. And although they were, I mean, I was one of the reasons I fell in love with college basketball is that I was a 17 year old boy, a high school senior, maybe 16 or 17 as Villanova of course is located in Philadelphia, which was my hometown at the time. And that's a very pro sports city. So 99% of the attention goes to the Eagles of the NFL and the Phillies of baseball and the Sixers in the NBA flyers and hockey, et cetera. It's hard for a college team to get on the kind of, you know, the front page, if you will. And sure enough, that team rolling Massimino they they shocked the world by beating John Thompson's Georgetown team and Patrick Ewing and those guys. And through the eyes of a 17-year-old, man, I, I'm still – it's still reverberating with me all these years later. 
<laughs> the question, Coach, with uh, what are your thoughts on that? Do you see it as a do you see it as a team like a North Carolina or Villanova that doesn't have a, a first round pick, or do you do you see it that it's going to be a Duke or Kansas that does? Well, a, a couple of things come to mind, and, and that's that's incredible research. But the uh, uh, back to the Duke thing for a minute. The uh, that first game, regardless of what we what we say or what we do, is is still potato skins and wings, and and we're, we're only going to get the steak later on in the evening. Um, and, and Carolina, to, to David's point, I mean, other than St. Peter's, they are the Cinderella story. A week before the a week before the regular season ends, they're not in the tournament. Right. They're not going to be in the tournament, and they've made an incredible run. Now, I, where we where we might part ways is if Carolina wins the tournament, they'll have at least two first round picks. You think? I do. I'll, I'll be do. shocked if Baycott's a first rounder. Caleb Love has a chance, but I I really don't believe they'll have more than one, and they might not have any. Well, they you know the, those those teams love to trot out a, a national championship True. draft pick, especially when it gets toward the end of that first round, where where yeah they may or may not even matter at that point in time. But uh, but I do think Villanova is uh, is is likely not to have one, regardless of how it yeah. goes. But uh, yeah, I I I, w- I was uh, I love that stat though. I love the fact that you went back all the way. And, and I was there in 1985. I'll never get those hours back, Coach. That was a lot of hours of research. I thought you were, I thought you were saying you were there in 1939, DG. No, well, just think about it. It, it. Just as a contrast, let's say maybe Caleb Love sneaks into the first round. Who knows? Maybe Baycott does. Just to give you all an idea, in 2009, when Roy Williams led the Tar Heels to the national championship, Ed Davis was a lottery pick. Tyler Hansborough was a lottery pick. Tyler Zeller was a little mid-first round. Ty Lawson was mid-first round, and Wayne Ellington was late first round. Wow. So that's five first-rounders. Now, it's not always five, but it is almost always two, three, four. There have been six. I think one of the Kentucky teams had six first-rounders when they won it all. Now, there have also been teams that only had one, only in air quotes. Um, I believe last year's Baylor's team had only Davion Mitchell uh, turn out to – I know he was a first-rounder. I'm just – I don't think anybody else became one. So there are exa- – Rick Patino's national championship only had uh, – 2013 at Louisville, they had only one first-rounder. So, obviously, anything can happen. This is March Madness. I mean, who knows? The Tar Heels will have pros. I- I'm not trying to t- t- tell you that they're, you know, some kind of St. Peter's story out there. They've – they've if you count beyond the NBA, they might have a half a dozen guys. I mean, Brady Manick is going to make money playing basketball somewhere in the world. Probably not the NBA, but somewhere in the world. Maybe Leaky Black does as well as a great defender and, you know, only a role player on this team. But you guys know how that goes. Um, a majority of Carolina players find a basketball job somewhere in the world, even if they were backups. But I, that's just one of the themes I'm watching because seriously, Duke could have five first rounders, and that's not a slight difference than Carolina's zero one. And I, again, I'll be shocked if they have two. Guys, I, I'm here now. I'll let Dave know. Dave decided not to introduce me, so I'm introducing myself. Hello, <laughs> earlier, by the way. Oh, well, I'm here now. Guys, I just wanted to comment on uh, Saturday night. Obviously, uh, going to be one of the greatest nights in sports history. Uh, WrestleMania, the return of Stone Cold Steve Austin yeah. Saturday night. It's going to be a big night. Um, 
But uh, you guys are talking about a basketball game. First of all, I'm shocked that Matt knows so much about Villanova basketball, the East Carolina linebacker, spitting out Villanova facts and players they had back in the day. So uh, like, I was you know, watching that game. I thought Georgetown was going to win. I'm, I'm not a Villanova fan in 1985. Yeah. But that was, uh, that was yeah. an incredible, an incredible run they had there, Kyle. That was that was a hard one to forget. 1985. Was there? I think to beat. There was three. It was crazy. Yeah, yeah there was. How three. were you, 85, Matt? Well, I was uh, whew, nine, nine years old, Kyle. Okay, all right. You're old enough to remember. Yeah, I see. I was five in '85, so a few years make a difference. So uh, yeah, nine years old, you got enough uh, recognitive memory to. To uh to to remember that final four, whereas five years old, I, I was watching He Man. Yeah, <laughs> I well, was that, sixteen. That's a lot easier to remember. In that final sorry. four, there was three Big East teams, right? There was uh, Georgetown, Villanova, and was it Memphis? Um, Memphis. Okay. Yeah, I, I don't know why I was thinking St. John's maybe with Chris Mullen, but maybe that was, was the three. following year. I thought there was three Final Four teams from the Big East uh, that year. Was Maybe it I'm that year? Up. The Big East does hold that record with, you know, three from the same league. Because Villanova was – the reason I remember that is Villanova was well, – nobody was – I mean, talk about Cinderella. The Georgetown – it was definitely Georgetown was going to repeat, and you can forget about it. That's what makes me wonder about um, – I'm hearing all these – Oh, no, you're right. You're right. St. John's was there that year. Okay. So, so it was it was Georgetown, Villanova, and St. John's that in that good. same year. So that that is the one example of this of a single league getting three of the four teams. And yes, who Memphis, did, Memphis was the beat? fourth. Yeah. Who did Villanova beat to get to the Final Four? Hmm. Let's see. Villanova. Villanova played hmm. Georgetown. So yeah, that's a good question. I don't know if it. Yeah, it could have been uh, the other two. We lost uh, at Auburn. We lost to Carolina in the Sweet 16, and then they lost to Villanova. In okay. 1985? Okay. Right. Good stuff. Tell us a good uh, – do you have a – Coach, do you have a – this is a sidebar because I love his commentary, but do you have a good Charles Barkley story for us? <laughs> the one that you can tell in the air? <laughs> Charles, was, uh, Charles was something else. I, and we, we've talked about this a little bit, but uh, – uh, when we signed Charles, we, I mean, we actually went to recruit someone else and the, another assistant on the staff saw Charles and said, we need to recruit this guy. And uh, um, he had just demolished Bobby Lee Hurt, who was the number one center in the country playing in, you know, out of Butler High School in Huntsville, Alabama. It was a Christmas tournament. So we jumped in there and uh, somehow got him to come to Auburn. And uh, um, we knew it was going to be challenging. Uh uh, we we probably didn't know exactly how challenging it was going to be, but it was challenging enough on the front end that uh, my wife and I, and she has stayed with me despite this, we sold our house and moved into the athletic dorm just to make sure Charles did the right thing every day. Wow. <laughs> Basically was go to class. Are you serious? We lived in the dorm with Charles. And Charles wow. will tell you, if wow. Charles – if I'm at the same event as Charles right now, he will start the he will start the conversation by saying, "I hated that man right there," <laughs> and, and then he'll backtrack and said, "But I love him today." So, uh, and, uh, and, and fortunately, he does. So that's uh, that that we we've grown a lot together. Coach Mack, and uh, can can you get a can we get a commitment from you as a friend of the podcast if you will ask Charles Barkley to come on the Sports Objective? 
<laughs> I'll ask. I've asked him to do a lot of things so he hadn't done, including go to class. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell him he'll get to talk to the Kyle from Lagrange, and that'll put it over the top. <laughs> you might like the wrestling conversation. Uh, you, you all might, you all might get along right there. Could, I love Charles Barkley, man. I, I tell you what, as, as a North Carolina guy, you know, when, when you talk about my favorite NBA players and my favorite personalities in the game, I, I, I'm not a, I'm not a Jordan guy. I, anybody, I love this. Probably my two favorite guys of all time in the NBA are Charles Barkley and Shaquille O'Neal, and I love to see them go back and forth on TNT. Um, they uh, both seem like genuine dudes. Well, as, as as the general public has started to get to know more and more, Charles is exactly who he appears to be. He, uh, there's nothing phony about him anywhere. And uh, and he's the same whether we're sitting at uh, at Crystal's having a burger or uh, a pizza <laughs> joint or, or whether he's on. I mean, I, I literally text him uh, while he's on the air and, and, I, and I see him answer me right away. But uh uh, I, I try not to bother him sometimes, but sometimes I just can't help myself and say, what in the world were you thinking? <laughs> Coach Mack, there was a rumor floating around for years, I remember, that Barkley was only like 6'4". Is there any truth to that? How tall is Charles Barkley? Because you always heard anywhere from like 6'4 to 6'7". Six, six, he's six, not 6'5", but uh, but I don't know if I'd call him 6'4", but he's not, he's not very big. So about six five, huh? Amazing. And, and, and the weird thing, you know, that that was unusual for a guy like that got a lot done. But also, he had he had really small hands. It took him a long time before he could even palm the ball, which makes so many of the things that he can do with a basketball pretty incredible. Wow. No question. I I got to tell uh, everybody's talk about uh, you were saying not a Jordan guy. I will tell you, nineteen ninety eight, uh, DG, you'll appreciate this. Uh, talk about no pressure. My boss at the time, Henry Hinton, that you guys know, um, asked me, he had started up uh, Cable 7. So uh, back then, Michael Jordan had a, a celebrity golf tournament to honor Ronald McDonald, a great cause. Unfortunately, later he moved to the Bahamas around 2000. But anyway, it's 1998. And they say the first shoot that you're going to do in the history of my – I have more of a radio career, a year of television, very limited. <laughs> but – they asked me to shoot the Michael Jordan Golf Classic Skins game. So I'm, I'm it's July. It's about 100 degrees outside. I'm there at Brook Valley Country Club, which I adore. I used to live near there. And I'm there, and I have no idea if I'm doing anything right. I mean, it was a super VHS like camera. And I'm there. And I unfortunately, I got a chance. Well, fortunately, I got a chance to hang out with Joe Morgan. That was very cool and follow Jordan and all that. But Jordan literally had an opportunity. There was a father and son waiting. And, of course, I'm watching it because I want to see how Jordan is. I'd heard he was not very friendly and all that. And all of a sudden, the uh, the the father and son, they'd waited a long time. And Jordan walks by, and it's nobody there. It's a handful of us there, right? And they ask him for his autograph. And he said, I don't do autographs. And he was really ugly to him. And I said, you know, if you're Jordan and you don't have a line of people, how come you can't sign – Michael Jordan and scribble something really quick and keep moving. No, they were not asking him for money. They were not asking him to hang out with him. They just asked for, it was probably at the time the boy was probably seven or eight years old. It's like you guys, I mean, it's like having a son and you want to impress your son and get an autograph from Michael Jordan. And I understand that they have millions of people to ask for an autograph, but I swear to you, that was the only, it's like I'm standing there with a camera 
and they're right beside me. That's the only people there. I just couldn't, I still have a hard time. When people say Michael Jordan, maybe he was having a bad day, but I've heard too many <laughs> stories like that to, to not form an opinion. I'll just say that. <laughs> well, er, early Michael was much more approachable than late Michael. I'll tell you that. For, that's just from a media perspective. You know, um, he, he's he's a different guy. And I do think that when he got those six NBA titles, it took him to a level of fame where you almost need private security. And, you know, you, you can't you can't be every man in every situation. You just can't. It gets trickier. I'll put it that way. But in your example, I, I do think, you know, even the most famous people, if they know it, if they know it's only going to be a few people and not I stop for these three. And the next thing I know, there's 300. Yeah, that, that's it's, it's hard to understand why he wouldn't have done that. Dave, while we're on the topic of the uh, of the Michael Jordan Celebrity Golf Classic in the Ronald McDonald House in Greenville, um, I, I back in the day when, when Jordan was doing that in Greenville in the nineties, um, he used to have a concert at uh, yep. right Auditorium yep. uh, with Neil McCoy. You remember Neil McCoy when he was oh, big, yeah. big in the nineties? Was, was he there in ninety eight when, when you did that? When because uh, he was always really cool. Talk about somebody who was good for fans. Yeah, it was somewhere around there. I can't remember the the year, and I should know because. I love Wright Auditorium. I love ECU. Neil McCoy was uh, big. Yeah, he played it like three or four years in a row where he it was during, yeah. during the height of his popularity. Probably He probably was there because I think he's a golfer, if my memory serves me he right. He is. He is. That's why yeah. he continuously played yeah. it. He, he, he was more than happy to do the concert as his contribute to uh, to be able to play golf with, uh, you know, Jordan and Joe Morgan, et cetera. Sorry, I didn't mean to get off on a Jordan tangent there, guys, but uh, – Another thing that's controversial, but I'll ask that. I'll wait on that, but I'll throw it to Matt. I know, Matt, you have a question for the panel. Yeah, yeah. I'll throw this out to Coach or, or DG. Um, you know, it's interesting talking about getting back to the tournament here and looking at St. Peter's. Is there anything more predictable at times than college basketball, right? You look at Holloway at St. Peter's. He had this great run. And I made a comment to a friend of mine a week ago. I said, you watch. Within 10 days, he will be the head coach of another university. And boom, just like that, Seton Hall goes and scoops them up. So, so you know, I'll throw it out to you guys. I mean, it, it's just unbelievable, right, how coaches can move. You win a few games in the tournament, and then all of a sudden it propels your career to new heights. Um, so what are your thoughts, guys, looking at Holloway and the type of success? You know, obviously he had at St. Peter's. Can he bring that into the Big East at a place like Seton Hall, which is a tough place to win games? Me, you? I think that's a coach question first. I got to defer to the coach. <laughs> well, I, you know, there are a couple of things. First of all, th th this is a little bit different than usual because he had been an assistant at Seton Hall. He was probably going to get the Seton Hall job whenever Willard left, regardless. Um, and certainly after he won his own conference tournament, uh, the, the rumors were already there that if Willard moved, he was going to get the job. So it, uh, the only thing the run did for him was, was make the check bigger. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, that they, they, mm -hmm. certainly, they certainly got paid better for every round that he went, uh, which no would probably Seton Hall kind of regret some of that. But uh, but but your point is well taken. Uh, uh, and and postseason, regardless of the fact that 
that uh, you know you can predict who's going to be in the final four a little more regularly than what happens in the early rounds. It's a terrible place to evaluate coaches. Uh, Long term, fine, but on a one or two year deal, if you get a guy that just gets just the right draw with just the right players and just the right bracket, etc., uh, not a good way to evaluate coaches. You, you'd be much better off trying to see who's been winning the regular season consistently, especially in those low to mid-major leagues where you only get one chance to make it, and that's your conference tournament. So uh, ADs beware. Uh, buyers beware when you're uh, when you're doing it that way. And, DG, uh, talking about the tournament, uh, when you look at – you're talking about the, you know, the difference of play. Uh, you look at a Duke team, like you were talking about North Carolina – uh, there was times in December. I, I know you follow the programs a lot closer than I do, being a, a part of the ACC media. But man, Hubert Davis, people were—I mean, you know that uh, those of us that follow the ACC closely, there were a lot of people that said he's lost the locker room. From what I was hearing, um, you know, and I, I felt—I think the guy's a really good guy. I felt bad that he's following. You know, he had the tough task of following a Hall of Famer like Roy Williams, who wins a few titles. So he already has that pressure, and then you hear that stuff. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, they're like Coach was saying, you know, they're not even going to make – it looks like they're not going to make the tournament. They beat Duke, uh, and all of a sudden they're in the tournament. Um, but, you know, you look then you look at Duke. Uh, Duke didn't play very well, and all of a sudden there's Coach Krzyzewski once again, the final – the swan song, the final ride, and he's got playing better in March than they played uh, February, uh, January for sure. Well, number one, fans are fans, right? Fan is short for fanatic. I've been around long enough to have heard Carolina fans complain about Dean Smith. And I mean, after he won that 1982 title. By the end of the 80s, when I came along as a very young journalist, I was hearing about how Coach K and Duke were passing him by and the old man didn't have it anymore. And sure enough, after Duke went back-to-back in 91 and 92, Carolina wins another one under Dean Smith the very next year. I mean, he obviously had a lot of gas left in the tank. So at either of those schools, Mike Krzyzewski will tell you that in the early 1980s, and this is a true story, there was an unofficial group called the Concerned Iron Dukes. So Iron Dukes is the name of their booster organization. They didn't like that Coach K in his first three years didn't win enough after being hired from Army. And they were putting pressure on the athletic director like, we don't have the right guy. Uh, That one worked out pretty well, keeping Mike Krzyzewski, right? By 86, he had him in the national championship game, and now he's got five rings and he's seeking number six. I I don't believe that Hubert ever lost the locker room. I do believe Carolina had some defensive issues I mean you don't need me to tell you that they were just not a good defensive team I also believe they had some chemistry issues and I think it is natural for 18 to 23 year olds when things go poorly if your head coach is Mike Krzyzewski and you don't trust your coach you're just an idiot right (laughs) but if things are going poorly and your head coach is a brand new first time head coach You might love them to the core of your being, but I think it's natural to second guess, hey, this is a school that's won six NCAA titles. Our last coach had three rings himself. Does this new guy really know what he's doing? I think it's normal. I don't mean to say it out loud. That might get you into some trouble. I think it's 
I think it's normal to question it at some point. But Hubert is such a good people person that, and then he got some, he got a weird assist. A guy named Dawson Garcia left the team at midseason. And, and even though you lost a contributing player, he had been their starter. Brady Manick was not a full-time starter until Dawson Garcia went home. Some of his family members have medical issues. In an unusual way, rather than the heels being hurt more by losing a quality rotation player, I believe it simplified their chemistry and, ra- and allowed those five guys. I mean, if Hubert, Hubert Davis plays his starting five way more than Dean Smith or Roy Williams ever did. Hubert will run those guys out there for 40 straight minutes if he has to. It's R.J. Davis, Caleb Love, Leaky Black, Brady Maddock, and and Armando Baycott. And they got a lot of time together, sometimes literally 40 minutes. They built chemistry together. There was no more, should Dawson Garcia start? Should Brady Maddock start? Why is Brady not shooting quite as well? Well, once Garcia left and a guy named Anthony Harris was unavailable also, I think it takes away – it just removes some potential chemistry questions and problems and maybe finger pointing and second guessing the coach about who should be playing more and who should be playing less. So X and O wise, they just got tougher and better defensively, but personnel wise, they just got simplified. And what could have been a a loss of, of a key player turned out in my opinion to, to just benefit the way the pieces of the puzzle fit together and by the end of that season, going to Duke, you know, they were not capable of doing what they did in Durham a month before that or two or three months before that. Absolutely no way go into that environment and get that win against that team. No way. By then, they had better chemistry. They had confidence in each other. Um, and, and, again, I don't think Hubert Davis ever lost the locker room. I think that's more fan talk. Uh, but I do know that Dawson Garcia was a complicated personality in that locker room. So maybe that is what led to those, those kinds of uh, fan speculations. DJ, you mentioned coach Davis uh, playing in starters a lot, not really going to the bench a lot. Uh, do you think if that happens Saturday night, you know, he, he, the, you got the same guys on the court for, for pretty much the whole game and, and they managed to beat Duke. Do, do you think that, you know, at some point you would think, you're going to run out of gas. Do you, do you think if he does that, as emotional as that game will be Saturday night and they get past Duke, they'll, they'll be out of gas for Monday? I thought that was a bigger issue, Kyle, at the ACC tournament, which ended up not being an issue because the Tar Heels didn't go very far. But I think it's it's a lot harder even for, you know, amazingly fit young men to play four days, four games in four days or three games in three days. I, I think the day off, even though it is emotionally supercharged, I think these guys at this stage of the season, you know, maybe nobody's a hundred percent physically, but the adrenaline is going to carry you a long way when you're playing for a national championship. And at this point, their bodies are, their bodies expected beyond my bigger question is actually related to that. If somebody I'm dying to see how the referees officiate this game because the Tar Heels don't want to go to their bench. I'm actually dying to see, and Coach Mack, you might know the answer to this. The Nash, I, I know the ACC director of officials really well, a guy named Brian Kersey. Before that, it was a guy named John Clockerty. I know, I know how they think about things. 
but they're not the ones making the decision about who referees games. Do you know, Coach Mack, would you purposely put referees with teams they cover, they, that they covered a lot during the season? Or would the national director of officials hesitate to put ACC referees on a Duke Carolina game? In other words, I guess you could view it either way. Either they're more familiar with the personnel and the coaches, and that helps helps make them better referees. Or I don't know, maybe somebody has a conspiracy theory that you shouldn't put ACC refs because, I don't know, they might like Duke better or like Carolina better. I don't know. But I'm dying to see that because if there are a lot of whistles on Saturday night, Carolina is in some trouble because they just have nowhere to turn. Well, there have been less whistles in this tournament than any tournament in history. Uh, so so you're probably not going to see Carolina get in trouble unless somebody just makes some silly plays. Uh, back, back to the uh, – and I want to I finish the officiating question, but back to the, uh, the question about fatigue. Um, you've got plenty of time off. You, you, you've got a day, like you mentioned, you don't have that in the ACC tournament. Plus, even during the game, uh, it, it's not as yeah. big a factor because you have two-and-a-half, three-minute – timeouts you have a 20 minute halftime uh everything goes slower you have the reviews the play reviews which we're having a record number of those uh especially toward the end of the games i you know i don't think i don't think having a short bench is it is nearly as big a deal as it it's certainly not as big as it would be in the acc tournament but uh but even in years past um but the officials i don't think collins really you know, first, I don't think he has a, an incredible amount of power over how the games have been called. Uh, I think that goes back to their to their supervisors, whether it's Curtis Shaw or Brian Kersey or or, or whoever the, the league may be. Second of all, so many of these guys call in so many leagues. There's so much overlap because of the fact that they're independent uh, contractors. That that I don't I don't think they even look at that anymore. Uh, you know, I used to be surprised when you'd see an ACC guy get in an ACC game in the early rounds. I, I don't even think about that anymore, and and I don't think the officials think about that. Now, could there be an ongoing you know head to head with somebody, uh, especially somebody like a Coach K who, who gets on them pretty good, or or even with a player? That, that's possible. But but what boy, by the time you get here. Anybody in this Final Four is pretty dadgum good. Yeah. I don't. I don't think the coaches will even be concerned about that. I really don't. You know, the in Vegas guys, there's prop bets, and I was thinking about this, and so I've waited on purpose all day to ask this question to the panel. In 1991, and David knows where I'm going with this. Pete Pavier, and I know, Coach, you were probably there, so he kicks out Dean Smith. Is there any ref? On Saturday night, when we know the emotions, let's just take that game, that would kick Coach K out. Oh, jeez. <laughs> no. Not, no. I couldn't believe that happened in 91 with Dean Smith. That was the other time the they could have met, right? If he didn't get – if they correct. won that game, that's the other time they could have That is the met. only close call in, yeah. in the history of that rivalry where it almost happened. Actually, it was funny. Roy Williams was the Kansas coach that eliminated Dean Smith. Yep. prior to what would have been a Duke Carolina national championship game. That was an and actually, remember, Duke Indiana. had to be undefeated UNLV Indianapolis. in the semis. So 30-0, baby, 30-0. That was Duke crazy. Indiana. I think, Dave, to answer your question, if Mike Krzyzewski literally murdered a person, 
they they might wait to see if he chopped up the body Jeffrey Dahmer style before ejecting him from the game. <laughs> I don't think <laughs> I was saying, you have to hey Samenza. Samenza, you have to have uh, some big balls to, to kick. Oh, I've kick got it. I've gotten to know no these doubt. a lot, not a lot, a handful of these officials really, really well. Some of them have had dinner at my house. And one common thread that I've learned from them, and I do believe them, many fans would not believe them, but nine, nine out of ten refs I've ever met just don't want to be a part of the story. They want both head coaches to walk away feeling they got a fair shake. And other than that, there's a few that like to be in the spotlight, but most of them, they just want to do their job and let both teams walk away feeling they were given, they were treated fairly. That's really their agenda nine times out of 10. And they certainly don't want to be the storyline <laughs> or remembered as the guy that threw out Coach K in the national, his last <laughs> NCAA tournament, ending his career. Oh, my gosh. No, I, I'm going to text a couple of my ref buddies just to, just to see what they say after our show is over here. I had to, you I'm know, I'm sure throw, we'll get some good replies. I had to throw some – both of you guys on tonight, I had to throw that question out because, you know, maybe some people are not thinking that, but – uh, I was just thinking about Pete Pavier, and I was like, that was so stupid of him. There's, There cannot be a coach out there, not that that was Dean Smith's last year, mind you, but um, that, uh, but he had, of course, another Final Four to come up. But, uh, but man, I was <laughs> uh, – What's crazy is Dean Smith didn't even curse. I'm serious now. I'm, I, don't, I can't say he never did because I, I wasn't around his whole career, but – I never heard the man curse, and I covered hundreds of his games. So I don't know what the magic word is that gets you thrown out when you don't use any of those, you know, FCC violation words. So, DG, he, he, he was just like Jim Calhoun, in other words? <laughs> well, hey, Let me tell hey, you something. Hey, I coach, sat courtside for some UConn oh. games when Calhoun was the coach. I learned – <laughs> I walked away with a new vocabulary. I've never seen anyone go as hard on his players as Calhoun. So just just an aside, yeah. um, you talk about two guys opposite ends of the spectrum, right? Yes. And and Coach K can still be profane, but I've, I lived it. He was 10 times more profane earlier in his career than he has been as an older guy. I mean, he still gets into the referees. Don't get me wrong. But there was an evolution in him where I believe midway through his career, whether it was his wife or somebody else, they were, they were starting to say, you're looking a lot a, too much like your mentor, Bob Knight, on some of these nights. Mm. And I, I give him a lot of credit. Again, he's, he's no angel. But he avoided many of Bob Knight's worst characteristics in the end, while, of course, keeping you know many of the better things that he learned from Bob Knight at Army back in the day. By the way, guys, here's a sidebar for you. Fun fact, 1983, I'll never forget this. What coach in the ACC had the most technicals? Do you know it? Was it 83, you said? Yeah, 83. Lefty Drizel. No, it's Coach K. They called him Mr. T. He had more, and that was uh, getting back to a quick story, 11 and 17 on the year. I remember the story very well. I was uh, – <laughs> Of all places, when Duke was losing that game to Virginia by 43 points, my mom took me to Kmart, and they were getting crushed, right, in Durham, North Carolina. 
there were people at the Omni screaming at Tom Butters, the Duke AD, screaming at him to fire Coach K at the tournament at the Omni in Atlanta, Georgia. So for all the people, and that's something we're going to talk about, the new hire at East Carolina, we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, I wanted to talk about the fun stuff first <laughs> before we get into hey, – I'm going to have to go. My boss called me and me and my, my real life boss, not my wife, but my boss <laughs> weren't giving me a call and I need, I need to return his call. Okay. Um, but the, uh, uh, just a couple of things I want to comment on one, uh, everybody during the NFL playoffs, we're talking about is the NFL scripted because of how good the games were, uh, coach K and Duke in the final four is the NCAA tournament scripted. No, no, seriously, but it seems, like, it, it seems like it's like a movie. Yeah. North, North Carolina final four. It seems like a scripted, but of course it's not. It's just interesting how these things happen. Uh, then uh, I, I did want to make a comment on something we talked uh, pre-show because I wanted to talk about this on the show, so I'm going to get this out, and then I'm going to sign off. Uh, the the Eric Church situation, which ties into the North Carolina Duke game, and I'll, and I'll handle it more delicately than I did in the pre-show. Um, the, it, it, Eric Church is a guy I've seen in concert four times. Uh, he's one of the few good Nashville country artists. I'm a big, huge fan of, of, of Texas Red Dirt Country, the whole independent scene. Guys like Cody Jinks and Steel Woods, Chris Knight, uh, Whitey Morgan, Whiskey Myers, that whole scene. And that's good country music. So right now, if you're angry at Eric Church like I am, go check out some of those guys. That, that's real good country that's still being made today. But uh, Eric Church to cancel his concert Saturday night to watch the Duke UNC basketball game. You get paid between $750 and $1 million per show if you're Eric Church. There are people who are just as excited about that Eric Church concert as he is about UNC Duke in the Final Four. You got people that spent hundreds of dollars to go see that concert. And for him to cancel on his fans like that to me is just – I lost a lot of respect for him. He's an Appalachian State graduate. I got a problem. There's a bunch of East Carolina fans that make me very angry for being huge Duke and UNC fans. You went to App State, okay? You know, maybe if it was App State in the Final Four, I could forgive you. But give me a break, dude. So, you know – Eric Church lost a lot of respect. Shows how much he really cares about his fans. I uh, I, I just wanted to get that out. I don't I don't know your guys' thoughts on it, but to me, it's just very unprofessional and um, shows what he really feels about his fans. And uh, that's all I got, guys. Uh, I'm sorry I'm going to miss the, uh, the the discussion on our on our basketball situation at East Carolina and the the decision to to get rid of Dooley, which I think was premature. And Dave, I know you you're more passionate about that than me. Um, but, uh, good, good luck to, uh, to, uh, our, our new coach. And, uh, I think he, uh, he, he's coming into a tough situation with the transfers, uh, losing, um, Newton and Suggs, particularly Newton. Um, I, you know, going to be a complete rebuild yet again. And I think Dooley was on the cusp. Um, it's a shame, but, uh, coach Mack, you wouldn't know anything about that, would you? <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm going to get off here and, uh, uh, go Pirates, and everybody enjoy the uh, Final Four Saturday night. Thanks, Kyle. Yeah, let's get, to the, Eric, let's get to the easier one first, the Eric Church deal, guys, and then we'll go to the East Carolina question. But let's go to the Eric Church first. Yeah, my quick take on it is they do give the dates of the Final Four well in advance. So if you are Eric Church at that level of wealth and fame, it does not take an extraordinary amount of foresight to just say, let's not plan a concert on the Final Four weekend. I mean, and, and to be fair, a majority of Carolina fans did not expect these Tar Heels to end up in this Final Four. N 95% of Carolina fans who say they saw this coming are liars. <laughs> Eric Church 
obviously didn't see this coming either, but how could you? My point is, regardless of whether you thought the heels were going to be great, horrible, in between, unpredictable, just don't schedule a concert. If it's that important to you, just don't schedule a concert on Final Four weekend. It can't be that hard. Right, guys. It's like with the Pirates, with the baseball, with with Cliff Godwin, um, you know, Bubba and I, we were just talking about that. You know when the when the run is for the College World Series to go to Omaha. You know when it is every single year. So it's the same thing with us, with our fan base, with the College World Series, uh, with all the many, many tournaments that we've never uh, – regionals, super regionals, we've never made it. Uh, for us to make it to Omaha is going to be a huge deal. So like Bubba was saying in the green room early before uh, you guys came on, the very fact of that thing, he said if they make it to Omaha, he's going to be there. And he knows, like his family knows, don't schedule any yes. family vacations around the middle of June in that area that week or so. Um, so you're exactly right, DG. The other thing is, um, the other thing is, if you have a concert, you make a commitment. Uh, going back, God rest his soul, my my theater uh, director for community theater, uh, Alan Osborne, told us many years ago. He said. Your ticket, the t- their ticket is a contract. So they have a t- they they bought it, they invested in that ticket, and you have an obligation. If it's four people, or if it's a thousand people, like we had at our local theater, um, to see the show. If it's a packed house or four people, you still go out there and give a great performance. And so for me as a performer, I'm not at that level of his, of course, but being DJing for 25 years, all the theater I've done for over the last 30 some years, there's no way in the world. And I don't care if the Pirates are playing and we're doing a show. I'm not going to, unless it was a maybe an emergency with my children, maybe, would be the only thing keeping me from going, uh, something that people would, would give me a pass, but not to watch a ball game. And you guys know how much, I mean, we have a, a sports show by East Carolina, um, but there's no way, there's no way in the world. Um, and I can't believe a record company and uh, I don't know, but what do you think, coach? Well, I will say, if Virginia Tech, my alma mater, makes it to the Final Four, I will cancel on the sports objective. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be fine. That'll be fine, Coach. I'm just, I'm just going up front with that, all right? That's a great response, Coach. <laughs> well, hell, if East Carolina ever makes the Final Four, I, I, I'm not coming on the show either. If East Carolina makes the Final Four – uh, you can have me where I work at Vitamin Medical Center and the Heart Center because I probably had a heart attack um, to make that. And I guess <laughs> that's a nice segue. You know, DG, uh, uh, you'll be proud of me. I did some research. Believe it or not, uh, there's some people that are competition of ours that thinks that we never do research. But um, looking at the situation where we have, as Coach Dooley said, and we have a former East Carolina coach up here, um, the very fact of spending when it comes to the, the top programs. And I looked at it and I couldn't believe it, but Duke is, of course, number one at over 22 point, it's almost like $22.2 million a year. I don't think Carolina was not even the top 10, um, but it's usual suspects, you would think, the cans, all the big blue bloods, you would think, right? So um, do we have, and I want to make it clear to our fan base, I'm not delusional. Do we have Duke kind of money, UNC kind of money? Absolutely not. So let me put that out there first. But the problem is not Coach Mack. In fact, Coach Mack, one of your one, uh, you're like a fraternity. When Coach Steele came on, he was bragging about you, and he talked about all the coaches that have been, including himself, that have been involved in the East Carolina program. 
And I have said all along, and the guys are sick and tired of me talking about our group text. It's not a coaching problem at East Carolina. It's a commitment problem. The man that's here on the screen, Coach Mag, is a phenomenal coach. We've had phenomenal coaches, including a guy that you know very well, David Glenn and Dave Odom. We've had guys from the late 70s now. You look at all the coaches we've had. We've had a lot of great coaches. To me, it comes down to making it a priority. Leo Jenkins, love him to death, but he made football the priority at East Carolina. I'm not knocking football. We have a former linebacker from the 90s there with Matt Semenza. I love the other sports, love football. But the problem is, for me, and I want to get your guys' take on it because you guys know it very maybe better than I do with basketball, it just seems like we don't have a commitment at East Carolina. Well, maybe I'll go first so we can lead up through an ECU grad and a former ECU coach. Um, I, I know enough coaches to know that one of the questions they ask themselves when they think about a job, I, everybody wants to know, what are you going to pay me? Everybody wants to know who's my boss going to be. But one of the other questions all the guys I know ask themselves is, can I win there? Can I win there? And whether you're looking at budget numbers for the American Athletic Conference from one through whatever, you know, for the sport of men's basketball, or you look at facilities, who's as bigger, who's as smaller, who's as older, who's as newer, uh, or fan support, or even things like, is, is this particular sport number one on my campus, right? Mm -hmm. You know, at Florida State, football is one. Leonard Hamilton has still built a quality men's basketball program. He wasn't the only one to succeed, but, but he's found a way to succeed, even though he's not, he knows he's not the number one sport on campus. In my time in North Carolina, my perception from afar is that often men's basketball is the third most important sport on campus. So you can talk about finances, facilities. Obviously, every talent is always part of the equation, recruiting, et cetera. But some of these other things factor into recruiting. And, you know, you almost have to be a head coach who has a magic wand and great assistant coaches and gets a little lucky on the recruiting trail um, in some of these leagues where other schools have put a lot more money, have a lot more history, have better facilities, and just have a better tradition of sending guys to the NBA, winning conference titles. Uh, ECU has been to the NCAA tournament, I believe, twice in the history of its program, right? So, 72 and 93. So history doesn't have to drown you. It doesn't have to keep you down forever. But all these factors that we're talking about matter to one degree or another. And most of them make the ECU men's basketball job difficult. No doubt. What do you think, Coach? Yeah, it's difficult. <laughs> I can attest to that. The, uh, yeah, you know, and I don't, you know, I, I try to, I like to think that I can approach this pretty objectively. I still live in Greenville. Uh, I'm still a fan, and uh, uh, I want ECU basketball to win. But th there are a couple simple things. Number one, all the people you've mentioned, whether it's Dave Odom or or Billy Harrion or Jeff Lebo or myself or Bill or Joe Dooley or all these guys have won and won big other places. All of them. Um, so that, that would lend credence to the fact that it's, it's not necessarily a coaching problem. Um, the, the resources are not comparable to the competition you have to play. And it's been a really simple thing. 
uh, now getting it done is very complicated. We've had, we've had a great athletic director in, in coach Holland. We, we've had people here that, that want to, to have a competitive basketball program. Uh, we've got boosters that want to have a competitive basketball program, but the fact is we have not, we have not funded it at a level that, uh, that, that it takes. Joe Dooley still from his first tenure is the winningest all time coach here during that period that he was here. He's the winningest all time coach and got fired, which was stupid then. And it wasn't very bright this time, in my opinion. Um, now that, that, that probably my walk through the neighborhood will get a little more complicated, <laughs> than that, but uh, that's okay. That's okay. Um, and, I, he was headed in the right direction. He broke even this year. They were competitive in every single game except one. They had they were never quite the same after the COVID pause around around Christmas first of the year. They had they never again had their complete roster intact, and they still were competitive except for one game at Houston. And we saw what Houston is capable of against everybody. Uh, I don't understand it. Uh, it may work out, but. But on paper, it, it, didn't, it doesn't make sense to me, didn't make sense, won't make sense. And I wish Michael Schwartz all the best. I, yeah. I hope they win. I hope he's the guy. But uh, I, I don't think it was right. Uh, I, I don't think it was a good basketball decision to get rid of Joe Dooley at this point in time. Guys, um, I have a question for you, and let's get right into it. East Carolina, obviously, with the loss of Joe Dooley. Uh, we just lose two key players to the portal. Uh, Tristan Newton being a huge uh, impact to the roster, losing him, and then obviously Suggs goes too. So, Coach, I think I'll throw this out to you first, and then, David, I'd like to get your comments on it too. But considering right now you have a new coach coming into this situation, you just lose two of your two of your best players potentially, all right, you have a 1,000 players sitting in the transfer portal right now, Okay. How realistic is it to build a program with players coming out of high school at this point, or are you really in a situation at East Carolina in particular, are you trying to build through the portal first? How would you approach that in 2022? It's just so much different now than it was even five years ago. I'm not sure how many schools in the country can, can avoid the portal. Um, I don't. I haven't looked at this. David probably has done the research, <laughs> but um, and, and certainly Carolina has had kids from the portal. Uh, uh, I, I'm assuming Duke has too. Although yep. I don't know about this particular squad. Yeah, but, a couple. St. John. But yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. But I. I don't think you can do it anymore. I mean, team. The teams that are here are older teams. There, there are not a lot of young kids on these teams. There, I mean, Duke is the exception to that. But, but you're talking about a handful of people. But at East Carolina, the the portal is going to be the answer. Uh, now, it could be part of the problem, but uh, but but it can be part of the solution too. Uh, and and anytime you have a coach, you're you're going to have some roster change. But uh, but it's one. I, I remember the other day where Murray State had every player on the roster go in the portal, every wow. player because their coach Matt McMahon went to LSU, uh, and a couple of them have already gone uh, committed to going to LSU, and you're going to see more of that too. 
Uh, I know several people who got power five jobs who are going to take players from their previous school with them, which has never been a, a big deal before because they weren't going to be immediately eligible. So kids were hesitant to do that. But now it is going to be a big deal. And you're going to see a coach one day walk in and take his best players to the next job. Um, and that's going to be part of his interview process. But uh, but the portal the portal giveth and the portal taketh away. So uh, so you know, Coach Schwartz, uh, he better have lots of contacts, and uh, and hopefully he and his staff have a lot of contacts and can can get East Carolina back to uh, some kind of relevancy in a short short term. Well, I'll tell you this, uh, but thanks to Bubba, um, so we give him credit. He's uh, speaking of research, and we knew this, but I had forgotten this. Tristan Newton. Um, has been reach, uh, reached out. There's seven, seven SEC programs. He's got all, a laundry list of people that have been after him. I'm sure Suggs won't be quite as big, but uh, he was an important piece to the East Carolina thing. And guys, we're going to lose between graduation and transfer that we counted and maybe more, at least six guys on the basketball program this year from graduation and between that. So, um, it's amazing. I just don't know how, maybe I'm wrong, but Michael Schwartz, I'm sure is a great guy. I'm sure that he's a great coach from everything I've heard. He's got a great resume. I'm not anti Michael Schwartz. I'm just anti blowing up the program every four years. And and then you expect coach Mac. I mean, why would a coach, that's my thing is now, why would a coach come in knowing that like we talked about, um, we're not making a commitment. There's all kinds of things that I've wrote a laundry list of stuff and I'm not David Glenn, a great writer that you are, but I can write an article right now. And if you, if you could be my pseudo writer of things that we can do at East Carolina, there's simple things. Um, one thing that was, not, that was done that we know firsthand, the administration didn't buy basketballs because they hated Dooley that much practice basketballs for the opposing team. It was embarrassing. There's all kinds of stuff in there, and I'm not going to go down that road, but I can tell you a lot of stories that uh, we've been doing this show for over four years. People, uh, DG, you know this, people, when they're not happy, they leak stuff to us, um, yep. whether we want to hear it or not. We've been hearing for two years they hated Dooley, two years at least, and we didn't go on the show because we're not, believe it or not, some people may not, but we're not a shock jock show. We're very passionate about our program. And we want our basketball program to be great. We're in the state of North Carolina. And as our good friend Cy Seymour says, Duke of North Carolina can only take a few guys. They can't take every guy in North Carolina. And there's guys in Kinston. There's guys all over the place. If we had the right guy, I don't know, Coach, maybe that's not fair because you're a recruiter and I'm not. But I just don't understand. And I have assistant coaches in Pitt County talking to me, and they tell me, you know, we want our guys to go to East Carolina. It makes perfect sense for them and they're not talking about the best player on their team is probably going to go to an ACC school, but the second or third best team uh, guy on the team may go to East Carolina, and they want to go to East Carolina. But a lot of times, our coaches are not recruiting them, and some of it may be because they feel like those guys from it might be Farmville or Kenston or the uh, local schools that are really good in basketball won't give them the time of day. I don't know. Maybe you can help me out on that one on recruiting. Those damn coaches, you can't trust them. <laughs> you know, one thing I will say about recruiting local players, uh, and I was, I was, you know, fortunate enough to be in a city like at Chattanooga where there were a lot of players. Uh, you don't want to take a, a local player that is not going to play. 
Yeah. You know, that that's that's worse than taking one you know, and yeah. having to leave or you take one that that can't play. Now you really made the local coaches mad. Yep. <laughs> but I don't, I don't Yeah. That part's complicated, but the, the the answer to the original question is if you're ECU in the sport of men's basketball, you better look at every talent pipeline. So don't don't give up on high schools. Sure. Because some percentage of your program is going to have to remain built on not necessarily immediate impact guys, but developing players over time. But just in our neighborhood, guys, I looked at what Kevin Keats brought in on the transfer portal at NC State, and I like Coach Keats a lot. And my my reaction was, you're in big trouble. Because I had seen those guys play at other schools, and I, I, know, I know the ACC better than I know any other league. I've covered it for 35 years. And I just knew they were not going to be impact players for the Wolfpack. And then I looked at Steve Forbes at Wake Forest, who's, who was entering his second year. Under the old rules where you couldn't have an immediately eligible transfer, Steve Forbes would have been doomed – to a second consecutive horrendous year with the Demon Deacons. Because the rules changed and because the transfer portal has exploded, he found a guy, Alondis Williams at Oklahoma, that became the ACC Player of the Year, and he found a kid, Jake LaRavia, who's also on the NBA radar, who had been all-conference at uh, Indiana State. So it's not like he was a diamond in the rough. He was one of the best players. I think that league is probably a top-10 league. So, so it's not like, you know, he has a magic wand. Jake LaRavia was a really good at a sl- player at a slightly lower level and became all ACC. So Steve Forbes finds his two best players. Like, literally, they're two of the ten best players in the league this year. So that's the difference between 13th place and almost making the NCAA tournament. And I, it's not as easy as I just described, but – some of this stuff you can see on the front end. And if one one of your full-time assistants is not dedicated, I want you to live, breathe, sleep, and eat the transfer portal. I want you to dissect video. I want you to see who would be a good fit for whatever we run offensive and defensively. One of my full-time assistants, I'm going to call him Coach Portal and, <laughs> until he gets me players from the portal. And then maybe I'll go back to his original name. That's how important it is right now. No question about it. With uh, do you, um, and Coach Mack, I'll ask you this: um, Do you think East Carolina will ever make the tournament? I mean, do you think that we have a chance? I mean, I know that it's it's been. I mean, guys, I was 19 years old, almost 20. Wow. When uh, when East Carolina played Carolina, I was one of 50 students that won the lottery. They only gave 50 students out, and we sat behind the basket there at Lawrence Joel Coliseum there at Wake Forest and Carolina. Ten years ago, Dave. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. But I, when I was sitting there, and Carolina, of course, pulled away, and um, we gave them a fight, but there towards the end, we had to foul, and they they tack on the points. And they were the best team. Obviously, they won the national championship. But I, I would have never in a ma- million years thought that we would be waiting this long and, and notice I'm not asking for to win the national championship. I'm just asking to be in the big dance. That's all I'm asking for right now. Maybe maybe when I'm a grandpa or, uh, or 90 or 100 years old, there might be a light, lightning in the bottle and there might be one special year. But right now I'm just looking to how do we make 
the tournament? How do we make the NIT? Is that possible? It just doesn't seem like um, that is possible. Maybe it is. You're, you're going to get to see it. I may not, but you're going to get to see it. <laughs> no, I, <laughs> it's just, uh, it's been frustrating because I've really felt like Dooley, I mean, Joe Dooley works so hard and the APR, I'm not to make it a Joe Dooley show, but the first year, David, you're an academic guy. The guy literally could not bring in a Vance Jackson because he was misled by the administration and we love Dave Hart, but they did not tell him all the misgiving, all the things that you know about how big the APR is. So he couldn't he couldn't do anything the first year. The only normal year he had was the second year. Third year, there was 20-some days. They didn't even practice or play a game in February, a uh, year before last. This year, we had another COVID pause. And, you know, that's the frustrating thing is the guy had win ball games. Um, and, in fact, the first year, I won't say his name, but a former player, we were at halftime and he looked at me. He said, Dave, he said, there's probably three guys that can play. They really can compete in the American. And that was year number one. And, you know, Dooley was accused of microwaving the team, but he was trying to do anything he could to win. We had the best season in eight years, eight years. And you fire the guy. And I'll just say it be public. It was a personal decision. It was not a business decision. And a lot of times, both of you know, as a journalist and someone as a former coach, and we have former players on the panel, we all know it's a business decision. You can say wins and losses, but sometimes they're looking for a divorce, looking for your own guy to come in. And maybe you're, you know, you have a guy, and I'm not trying to disrespect Schwartz, but you've got your guy in now. So you won't have the guy, that conflict of how come you're not buying basketballs for me? How come you're not chartering flights? How come I have to uh, take a commercial flight to recruit when the when the football coach and the baseball coach has private donors let them use the plane, but you won't let me use – they won't let me use their plane? You know, there's all kinds of stuff there that were behind the scenes that were really bad. And it made me say, why in the world would anybody coach at East Carolina in basketball knowing the stuff that went on the last few years? I don't know, but I hope that the administration, as very vocal and outspoken as I've been, I hope that they will be back on the, uh, not Darth Vader anymore, uh, the, the dark side. I, it's been, it's not been good if you're a basketball fan behind the scenes the last couple of years, uh, for sure. Dave, yeah, you mentioned the APR, uh, and, and that was certainly a factor when uh, when Joe got here. It was a big factor when when we took over back in, yeah. when, in Terry Holland's day. Um, it, it, I mean, we were under really serious restrictions about what we could do because uh, they didn't want to take a chance on, you know, football becoming ineligible for bowl games. And at that time, Coach Holt sent him rolling and that kind of thing. But here's here's an interesting thing, and, and Dave, you, you all have been all over this topic too. With NIL and the transfer portal and all that's going on with the NCAA, when was the last time you ever heard anybody even mention APR? Yeah, it's a good point. It's rarely mentioned anymore. No. I, think, I think the schools have done a good job of managing it. So we don't see a lot of examples of, you know, that team, that school that's not allowed to play in a bowl game because of that, that school that's not allowed to go to the NCAA tournament because of that, that there's been an administrative uh, dedication to making sure they don't step into those potholes. But yeah, we're, we're in a wild time, guys. It's the transfer portal and it's not going back. Name, image, likeness, and, and that toothpaste is not going back into the tube. 
Um, I don't know if you all saw it, but Coach K indirectly ripped Mark Emmert, the NCAA president. You know, I say indirectly because he didn't call him out by name, but he basically said top-level college basketball has been broken for two decades, and the leadership of the NCAA has not figured it out. And I I know with absolute certainty that it pisses Mike Krzyzewski off that that he has been making some of the same mistakes or or some of the same complaints for two decades and has just seen a massive, in his eyes, massive failure of leadership. I, I don't know where all this stuff is going. I still love college sports despite some of this chaos, but, you know, our dad's version, our granddad's version of NCAA athletics is gone forever. And it's just a matter of what it looks like moving forward. I think most of us can still love it, but it's different. There's no doubt about it. David, tell me this. Uh, I don't mean to interrupt, but as you were talking, I'm sitting there thinking exactly the same thing, and I don't like where it's going at all. The one time that it doesn't seem to matter that I don't think about it is watching the games. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you, Coach. Thank goodness. <laughs> Amen. That's 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 for sure, Coach. And, you know, when you look at East Carolina right now, they're in a situation where just to get back to the point of being competitive next year, they're going to have to land at minimum two impact players from the portal. Two, minimum. Three or four to get to a point where now maybe you're back to a point where you're battling for a 500 record or slightly above. Um this is a rough situation for I think for this coach to come into, and you know I think when you when you throw in the loss of Newton in particular, you just lost the only guy who in a half court set when things get tough, when the offense breaks down, he has the ability to create his own shot and go one on one. He's the only guy I really saw on the roster that had the ability to do that. So this is a tough, tough spot. And and David, like you said. My assistant coach, I will name him Portal at this point because if you don't land two or three minimum, yeah. you're going to be guaranteed bottom three in the yes. American Conference next year. That's just the facts. I mean, I I hate to say it, but it really is the truth. And here's the thing, guys, that gets me, and maybe Coach, uh, I don't know if you want to abstain, but you have a guy that wins 15 games, okay? 15, we'd won eight the previous year because of COVID, so you go from eight to 15. Now, when Schwartz comes in and you fire a popular coach, some people want to duly gone because they don't pay attention to – they just think about wins and losses. Um, they're a casual fan. They don't know anything about basketball probably. Um, but anyway, I'm not going to go down that road of who's a better pirate, who's a bigger fan. But I will tell you that when you look at 15 wins, you're setting up Schwartz to – and I, like I said, I think he has a great resume – I think personally he's a great guy. He seems like I have a lot of energy like I like. But you're setting him up for failure because you have a popular coach you fired. And, Dave, you know uh, Ruffin McNeil in 2015. It's not as big on that level. Yeah. Uh, I won't go that far because more keep, way, way, way more people care about football at East Carolina than basketball. That's obvious with the state of the program. However, with that being said, um, you better win more than 15 games. I don't think that's possible when you don't have players. So why did you get rid of a coach? Unless it was a personal decision, which we know it was, and I'm just being real with you guys, I don't get paid by the university. I may never get another media credential for the yeah. university, but that's okay because I'm going to die a pirate and they won't. Um, so, but 15 wins, you better win more than 15 next year. If you don't, 
then the decision to me is not a good one, especially and and to be fair to Schwartz, it was not fair to him to bring him in, even though I know he wants the job and all that. Um, that's very difficult to win more than 15. I just don't see how you do it next year. I really don't. And I know Bubba wants to chime in. What's up, Bubba? What's going on, guys? Uh, obviously, appreciate Coach Mack and uh, DG coming on once again. But the uh, point that you made earlier, DG, as far as you say from afar, you know, men's basketball kind of falling third uh, behind football and baseball. Uh, that's in recent days, that's something that I've kind of been talking to Dave and the guys about. And you think about it, um, Pirate Club membership is 3,000 donors roughly, you know, behind our peak point of um, 82 or 8,300 about, oh, uh, 10, 12 years ago, something like that. And then obviously football has been, you know, really struggling prior to Mike Houston and his staff reviving things. And uh, season ticket sales have been down eight or 9,000, maybe more. Uh, so when that's the case, you know, you're in a tough situation. Baseball means so much at East Carolina, but at the same time uh, with, you know, the potential to, to bring in money with the basketball program, if it grows the way it needs to grow, then you, there's just not enough funds to go around. I think that's a fair point. It's complicated, guys. I mean, we don't live in a world where every every program is created equal, right? I mean, back to the ACC that I cover most closely, it is not coincidence that uh, most of the smaller private universities have a hard time being consistently successful compared to some of the larger public universities. The larger public universities have more alumni, often with deeper pockets, who are making bigger contributions, et cetera. So the Boston colleges and, and Wake Forests of the world, uh, I mean, right now, Wake Forest is up in football, but for most of the last half century, they've been down with only a handful of exceptions, right? So there's always been the haves and the haves nots. Some people believe that name image likeness is going to make that gap grow. Because if you're a, you know, the University of Miami, for example, is in a major metropolitan area where they have some nice corporate sponsors. Uh, I don't know how deep that well is. People who love and care about ECU athletics, but also maybe own or run their own businesses and could, I don't know if you guys have seen the collectives. Uh, the, co the collectives are a way of supporters of a university to legally, not, not break an NCAA rules, but to legally essentially make it more attractive for prospects to pick that school. And there's a way to do it that would violate NCAA rules. And there's a way to do it that does not. And of course they're trying to walk that line correctly, but Eastern North Carolina is not overflowing with either corporate monstrosities that are ready to dig deep into their pockets or, you know, they're NC state has Wendell Murphy as this mega booster, right? Carolina has its version of that, of that. Duke has it. ECU doesn't have as many of those people. So in the end, the Pirates are swimming upstream in a lot of areas, as Coach Max said, compared to the teams you're trying to beat. And you need a truly special set of leaders 
you know, they all matter. University president, athletic director, head basketball coach, assistants. You need some really special people in those positions to just have a chance. And sometimes even when you have special people in those positions, if you're swimming upstream financially and swimming upstream in terms of your lack of success historically and lack of players in the NBA and lack of trips to the NCAA tournament and all these other comparisons that the other guys in your same conference tend to win, that you better you better hire the right people and, and that all that does is give you a chance there's certainly no guarantee of success it's hard i wish i had an easier answer but there's just not one people uh people do make a difference and and the, the right coach the right dynamic guy personality can make a difference uh but he can't make a difference by himself. He, he has to have help from the athletic director, and the athletic director has to have help from the university president. I've got a good friend who, who, who will answer this thing pretty simply, though, and uh, his, his thing would be the answer is money. Now, what's the question? That's <laughs> <laughs> true. And, you know, uh, one of the things that we were talking about fundraising uh, Bubba and myself, there's a lot of people, and I, I don't think we've reached out to Coach Mack about it, but we want to do kind of like what baseball does. They have a – we want to have a tip-off dinner for basketball. That can raise a lot of money. You know, David, you you know, and I being from Durham, Duke does a great job with their – I know they've had trouble with COVID, but the basketball banquet they have after the season, and there's probably – I was telling Bubba, there's probably 90-some tables, and there's the fans up in the uh, upper deck, if you will, uh, second tier. Now, do I think that obviously going back to what I said, they raised, they have $22 million to spend on basketball. I'm not saying that, but if you want to be the best, wouldn't you look at the things that Duke, North Carolina, Kentucky, Kansas, UCLA, the, the big, blo- the blue bloods, as we're talking about, wouldn't you be looking at the Villanovas of what they're doing to, uh, to help your program? Maybe you don't have the money that they do, but I mean, that's that's what we need to do. If I'm if I'm Mike Schwartz, you need to be recruiting, have the transfer uh, portal coach, and uh, you certainly need to be finding out what these other places are doing. And ask Gilbert and ask people in the Pirate Club, why are we not raising more money? There are people out there that want to give, um, but the problem is is that um, they uh, we, scholarships are very important. I don't want to knock that, and you know that DG and coach, and of course the guy Matt Semenza who and Bubba Rosenbaum, who had a scholarship, and I didn't. But to tell people that that's the only thing that right now that you're giving is for scholarships, it's not a sexy thing. It's an important thing, but they want to see buildings. They want to see an indoor practice facility. They want to see improvements to Menjis. They want to see um, everything that Cliff Godwin wants and, you know, those sort of things. And, you know, they have a campaign that for some reason they won't announce that they've raised a lot of money for the – the big wigs have committed to an indoor practice facility, and I've been told that. So I'm like, if it's like $14, $15 million, then why are you waiting? What are you waiting for to tell these people, you know, the fan base, hey, we're we're doing things. We've got the money. We're going to have an indoor practice facility. That's the latest thing that's driving me crazy over the last couple of weeks that, you know, I'm like, what do we have to do to get the announcement out? You know, it was supposed to be January. They said well, they were going to wait to March. Then I was told they were going to wait till we have big donors. Well, then I've heard in the last couple of weeks they have fifteen million dollars that they've commit that they have committed right now for an indoor practice facility. If that's true, I think it's criminal that you're waiting. What are you waiting for to make the announcement? I don't know. Not trying to get you all in the middle of things, but <laughs> well, I'll, I'll just jump in really quick and I'll tell you. Can, you know, back to this point about can we do it here? Can, you know, can we be successful 
in terms of basketball at East Carolina. When I see these teams like St. Peter's come out of nowhere, it gives me a little bit of hope. I mean, this is a this is a team in Jersey City that uh, they don't have impressive facilities. Let's let's be honest. It is a very talent rich area, St. Anthony's legendary high school, uh, which actually no longer exists, is about a quarter mile down the road. A lot of talent there. But when you see these teams come out of nowhere with minimal resources, it does give me hope. Now, here's the vicious cycle. Guess what? Guess what you get for your magical run? You lose your coach. Yeah. So how, how do you – it is so difficult for the smaller, you know, you call mid-majors, however you want to phrase it. You, you know, you're just in a very difficult situation financially. And then when you have success, finally, right, can you keep your coach? It's very difficult. But, you know, it's uh, – Hey, now, man, if Mike Schwartz gets us to the Elite Eight, I'll help him pack his bags. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you, <laughs> the, the good the good news, Matt, is that's a much more fun problem to have, right? True. The current problems aren't very fun. When you get to the point where your biggest worry is other people yeah. trying to hire hire away your very successful coach, that's a nice neighborhood to be in. It still can be a headache, but man, the view is nice from there. No yes, doubt. Uh, Clip, our, our friend Clip Brock from Pirate Radio, you know DG and uh, Mac. Uh, and I'll, well, everybody on the panel, he always talks about, and I want to get your opinion on this, and both of you are credible guys, so I probably shouldn't ask the question, but he said he would be willing to have a coach that committed every kind of NCAA violation <laughs> um, if we could go to the tournament one year. That's how desperate he is, and I, 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 I'm I, not that far, to the, but I just thought that was really funny that he would take a coach knowing that the coach is probably going to commit every violation, and DG, you're the expert on that. And would you guys do that? Would you guys take? I mean, I, I just that's how that's how low the program is. <laughs> <laughs> I see Matt with his thumbs up. I, I don't know if I'm just a corny old dude, but my answer would be no. Um, and, and I don't want to stub anybody's toes, but I don't know who knows who and who likes who. But Will Wade won at LSU. Everybody knew he was cheating. LSU didn't fire him until this year, but that was after he had successful yes, yeah. teams and they knew all along he was cheating. In fact, an LSU athletic director resigned because the university would not follow through on his recommendation to get rid of Matt of uh, Will Wade back when the FBI had him on audio tape talking about paying for players. LSU as an institution chose to keep him around for extra years. Why? Because he was winning because he made LSU basketball relevant in a way it had not been. Uh, so it's, it's not just a sports radio host who's occasionally willing to kind of break those barriers, man. That, that goes all the way up through the athletic director and the university president. If you're keeping that guy around. No doubt about it. There were some ECU fans. That was one of the coaches they wanted on their short list. I was right? like, wow. yeah. Hire Will Wade. We know he cheats, but he wins. <laughs> Everything he did is legal now. True. That is that, true. That's another, that's another topic, too. So we asked the uh, – we waited to the toughest question of the night. We'll save it. We've uh, been here almost an hour and a half, and you guys have been generous with your time. So who do you like for the Final Four? Uh, can you tell us who you're going to win – who's going to win the tournament so I can run out and uh, maybe the offshore bets? Uh, Semenza, I know, has got like a grand in the backyard there in Connecticut. <laughs> 
that he can uh, put on whatever team you say. <laughs> I'll defer right. to you guys first. How about that? You, you, <laughs> who wants to go first? I'll go. Go ahead. I'm staying with my bracket. I've got Arizona beating Purdue in the championship. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I, I'm going I, – I have to say, I think that this is a magical run. I think Duke wins it. I think that just looking at the – it's like a perfect script for Duke beating Carolina in Chapel Hill. Then when uh, everybody said Duke is going to beat Carolina, at, uh, you know, there's no way in the world Coach K is going to lose his last game at Cameron. And like Coach alluded to earlier in the show, that would propelled the team. They played way better after that Carolina loss. As crazy as that might sound, raining on Coach K's parade, their retirement party, if you will, with all those players, they played so much better. I just find it hard, and anything's possible. I know that. But I, I think that the way this team is playing, they're playing at a, a huge level. And looking at the – you were talking about NBA picks – Dave, I, I read that there's four first-round picks for Duke and a second round. Five of Duke's players are going to the NBA draft. Five. Correct. So if it's based on talent, I would just say that. If it's based on talent, I'm going to pick Duke all the way. Coach K goes out as a champion. It may not happen like it did in the, at Cameron where he lost and he lost to Coach uh, Max alma mater there at Virginia Tech in the ACC tournament. But I just have a feeling that the last two times – I'll say this, the last two times Duke has been in the Final Four, they've won it all. They're different teams, as Coach would say, but the last two trips, they've won it all. And I didn't think – I thought the Duke would make it to the Final Four is like like just to make it to the Final Four, but now that they're in the Final Four, anything can happen. So uh, uh, who wants to go next? All right, I'll, I'll bite. Well, I had Kansas in the national championship game in my original bracket and I'm going to stick with the Jayhawks. I mentioned the NBA factor earlier. Kansas has it. Villanova doesn't. So I'll take the Jayhawks over Villanova, which also just lost one of its better players to injury. And Duke, the all-time record, Dave, by the way, for a single school in a single draft is five. Kentucky had five first-rounders in the same draft one time. Duke may not get there, but it could be close because – Bancaro's top five, Mark Williams' is lottery, A.J. Griffin is lottery, and then Wendell Moore Jr. and Trevor Keels, maybe first round, maybe second round. But if they all turn pro and they all go first round, they're tying the all-time record. So I, I take Duke over Carolina on that side of the bracket. But I'm just going to stick with the Jayhawks. I mean, if I'm at the betting window in Las Vegas, to be clear, I'm running in the opposite direction. I am not betting the kids' college tuition fund. I, this is all educated speculation. That's as far as I'm willing to go. But I'll take the Jayhawks to win Bill Self's second national championship during his time with them. All right. Very nice. Very nice. Well, I'll just jump in with this really quick. Can you guys remind me next year when March Madness comes around, please, if you see me pick Gonzaga, yeah. punch <laughs> me in the face. I've been waiting for that. Kick I mean, me, punch me, I don't care because I picked them for 15 straight years and I lose every year. So Let, let's record that because Semenza looks like a big dude. I'm not sure I want to tackle that guy. So let's <laughs> make sure four, we yeah. have his voice on recording so I can play it for him since he asked us to tackle him or whatever. <laughs> it would be well-deserved, DJ. It would be well-deserved. <laughs> but uh, 
but I'll just say I, I, uh, my, my quick pick, um, I, I'll tell you, I hate, I hate to do it and I might get disowned from, from pirate nation, but I like, I kind of like the mentality of this UNC team to go starting with that win at Duke. I think a lot of teams go in there and they kind of roll over in that situation and they, their mentality was to go in there and win the game. Um, I think they have something, a good thing going right now. I like the way they've played in the tournament. Chemistry looks right. I think Hubert Davis has them going in the right direction. So I hate to say it, but <laughs> I just feel like UNC is on a roll. So if Bubba takes Villanova, we've got the whole field covered, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to take Villanova. I can definitely um, definitely see where Matt's coming from as far as North Carolina is concerned. Uh, as much as I do not want them to make the run. I really felt like they would make the run uh, that they have. Um, but I will um, – I'll side with DG on this one. I'll, I'll go with Kansas. All right, we're up to Coach Mac. What do you think, Coach? I'm staying with Arizona. No. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm kind of a, uh, you know, a fairy tale guy. I, I, think, I think Duke does it. I think Duke does it. Yeah, I think that, that that's the thing is that, like I was telling you guys earlier, with, there's no way Coach Case can be thrown out of the game. Um, I'm trying to think of everything that possibly that bad that could happen. I just don't see it happening. Um, the only thing that I, the only thing that you guys were talking about the whistles um, is maybe if uh, you know um, Bencaro or Baycott, um, yeah. like in the first game, is the foul trouble for either team or both teams. Um, but if it's if it comes down to that, Duke definitely has the bench that Carolina doesn't. Um, so I've, everything that I've been trying to be, you know, like argue back and forth about who wins what game, um, you know, can't. I think it's going to be Duke Kansas and uh, Duke. And it's funny because uh, Coach K wins his first title beating Kansas, and his last title will be with Kansas. That's just my gut feeling, and I think and everybody will probably say I can already hear Carolina fans right now say it. You knew that they were not going to let us win because it's Coach K's last ride. He's a great coach in March. Um, I've already heard that that you, they should have never called that foul on Brady Manic or Baycott. You know, I'll put it out there if it's a prop bet. You know, uh, Manic gets thrown out of the game, or Baycott gets thrown out of a game, or gets three fouls in the first half, or you know, something like that will happen. But when it's all said and done, I I just uh, maybe you know anything can happen. Um, I know it's March Madness, but um, and I'm not a betting man, but if I did, I would put it on the Blue Devils. So, um, and Bubba, I know that one of our fans, by the way, uh, is like chomping at the bit. He's been like killing yeah. us on social media. I think chomping at the bits, um, putting it mildly. <laughs> but uh, no, really appreciate Elliot Jamison as always tuning in, uh, chiming in uh, repeatedly via YouTube. Um, Elliot's one of our loyal viewers and listeners, but uh, Elliot was just talking about. John Gilbert's tenure, obviously, uh, John was extended back a few months ago, a five-year deal. And um, and I, I do think, you know, saying that he's done nothing, I do think that's extreme um, for sure. But I, I certainly see reason to be skeptical, um, you know, be it the Joe Dooley decision. And um, really, you, you look at it, and uh, I was talking about this with a few pirates, as far as the Joe Dooley decision, you know, with where basketball is at East Carolina historically, this is a golden opportunity. You know, our record, um, although it was, you know, our, our fifth time not having a losing season in the last 25 years, 
it was where he could, you know, make the move without getting an, an extreme amount of uh, heat for it. And then, you know, if Mike Schwartz does work out, he's the AD that, that solved basketball at East Carolina, something that even Terry Holland really couldn't do. So you have that aspect of it. And then uh, I do think that there's certainly the jury's out as far as scheduling. Uh, you have a six-game deal with Old Dominion, and then you have a bye game at Michigan and then some FCS games. So it's going to be very interesting in the years to come to see, um, you know, whether he can get series with North Carolina, NC State, or even beyond that, I mean, just other regional opponents. Um, obviously, everybody knows the situation with Coach Max Almamater, Virginia Tech, uh, the, the previous administration, a lot of uh, some – as long as uh, Whit Babcock's there, and I certainly do not see that happening. But maybe, you know, a series with the University of Virginia or you know, somebody of regional interest, uh, West Virginia, uh, some games like that that the Pirate fans uh, really would like to see. Well, when you're talking about um, when you're talking about uh, football, for example, let's just face it. As much as the pirate fans hate talking about the ACC, guess what games they go to? They go to ACC opponents. So if I'm the AD, I'm looking at Georgia Tech. I'm looking at every single ACC school I can because that drives up interest, whether we want to admit it or not. ACC schools, um, Duke, I understand they're in a difficult position, even with Coach Cut. Um, to play us, um, trying to win six games is difficult. So I understand that. But North Carolina, not on the schedule. Um, but you can look at other AC school, ACC schools out there. We've got a series with Wake Forest coming up. Um, but that's what that's what makes money for East Carolina is the football tickets. And so that's the games you need to schedule. Um, the South Carolinas of the world, yes. The West Virginias of the world. Um, but the ACC opponents, I'm not saying it because David Glenn is ACC guy. But look at all the games we play with um, with if it's ECU versus whatever ACC school. And I guarantee you that it's probably in the top 10, 15 of all time at Dowdy Ficklin. Yeah, David, I mean, it's just one of those things. I mean, even though it's declined in recent years, you know, whether it's an ACC school or App State, um, that's that was Terry Holland's argument there when some people didn't like that game being played. I mean, you know, App State is going to bring five, six, seven thousand people, or as many tickets as they have available to them. And then, whereas back in those days, you know, a UAB or, or Southern Miss, for that matter, even though they had very, you know, tradition-rich program with a lot of success, I mean, they weren't going to bring more than a couple hundred folks, if that. No doubt about it, but uh, we'll have uh, we, we're going way long tonight, gentlemen. Thank you so much for coming on. I know they're like we're going to kill these guys. <laughs> um, <laughs> we enjoy both of you very much. Two of our favorite guests on, and uh, when this time of year, and we'll see how the tournament plays out. Final four, uh, four thousand dollars a seat. Um, I know Semenza has that kind of money. Everybody on the panel except for me, so I will be working. <laughs> um, I will be working, unfortunately, and um, but I have to stay home. But even if I could, I wouldn't be able to afford New Orleans as much as it's one of my favorite cities in America. Great place to have a Final Four. Coach Mack, DG, thank you so much. And before we go, um, we want to give uh, – I know, uh, Coach, you said that um, – can folks still buy the book? Do you have any books left to sell? Yeah, just got to come by my house. Okay. 
And are you writing the second book? Tell DG about your book. Well, I, I don't know where I'm going to be living because uh, after tonight's show, I may have to move <laughs> but, uh, but no, the, uh, my book, Dave, was uh, was was an Eddie Biedenbach quote. Now, I found out later he stole it, but uh, the title of the book was What I'm About to Tell You is the Truth or Could Be. Um, <laughs> the sequel is going to be called The Truth, though, and, and that one you're going to want to buy. That's cool. All right. I just, talk, I just talked with Coach B the other day. He, he's become a friend of mine. Great dude. Great dude. Coach, I, I need you to ship one of those books up to my house, all right? Hey, you email me your address. It's on the way. You got it. <laughs> and, DG, how can people – I see chapelboro.com. We were talking about – we used to talk about your career, I guess, that you're writing there um, and any other yep. places right now. Yeah, so I'm still teaching at UNC Wilmington Sports Media. Uh, I still occasionally contribute to accsports.com, the, the website that I created way back in the 90s. Uh, but a lot of my March Madness stuff I've been sending to chapelboro.com. It's the word chapel and then B-O-R-O.com. It's a radio station and website here in the Triangle area. So uh, it gives me another outlet for my ACC-oriented stuff, including those 74 years of research on, on <laughs> national champions with top 30 draft picks. Uh, so, yeah, uh, on Twitter at David Glenn Show. I have a lot of fun with uh, readers and listeners there as well. Uh, but it's great to see all you guys, and thanks, as always, for the invitation. David, let me let me, let me me jump in there for just a second, David. I'm going to save you some, some grief right now. Yeah. You're teaching at UNCW. Oh, yeah, did I get it wrong? Oh, you you, you got it wrong, and, and, and you and I both might hear from Jimmy Bass right now because, because <laughs> every time I'm on a, on a television game, it I make sure it is UNCW. So did not did I not finish the W? Did I give you my Philly dialect there and just say W? You know, you went with Wilmington. Oh, I okay, got it. Got it. You went so he I got it. He he prefers this the straight acronym. I'm cool with that. There you UNCW. Go. <laughs> I, I wasn't sure if my I wasn't sure if my Philly roots met, you know. We we still say the 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 stuff that comes out of the faucet, yeah, up up where I'm from is water. <laughs> so we Coach can House. watch all sorts of words. <laughs> Coach Max House is listed for sale. Oh, <laughs> no doubt. All right. Well, thank you guys so much. I hope that Coach that you don't need any, a realtor anytime soon, uh, for sure. <laughs> we want Matt to have a realtor so he can move from Connecticut with those high taxes and come down to Greenville. I'll take uh, we'll, it any day. Yeah, so we need a real we need a realtor for Semenza, not Coach Mac. We want Coach Mac and DG okay. around for a long time. Guys, thank you so much. We're going to get out of here and hope you have a great night. And welcome, you're welcome to come on anytime, as you know. Bubba, thank you so much. Anytime, anywhere, any place, we'll be right here and appreciate you guys. We'll get out of here for everybody. Enjoy it. Have a great final four. Good night, everybody. And as always, go pirates. <laughs>